0: Hello, welcome back. This is David Leibovitz. You're here on my podcast. I can be found at davidleibovitz.substack.com. And I love this podcast because I get to have special guests and special friends on. I can do whatever I want and I get to choose. And today I'm choosing one of my favorite people in the world. His name is Brad Thomas Parsons. Brad is the author of three books. His first book, four books. Okay. The first one, Bidders, won a James Beard and an IECP award. The second book was Amaro. Okay. The third one was Distillery Cats and the fourth one was Last Call. So why did I say three? I guess I'm nervous around you. (laughs) Yeah, no, the, the four books. uh... Oh, okay. Well, I wrote them down here and Brad is working on a new book about Italian spirits and drink traditions, the culture of drinking in Italy. So it's going to be a companion. If you have a copy of my book, Drinking French. You'll want a copy of Brad's book about Italy. Brad, welcome. Thank you, David. Thanks for being here. Oh, well, actually, speaking of (laughs) here, I'm in your apartment. I don't know how you got in. You have a famous apartment. Brad is actually known for his collection of spirits, and you can't see behind me, but maybe I'll take a picture. You've got probably at least, I'm just guesstimating, 300 bottles behind me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I counting, at one point, it was a lot more, and I had understock and overstock and when I moved a couple of years ago I pruned my collection a bit and then it added up quickly again so yeah it's the majority of it is Amaro and, and Bitters but um, I have all the major spirits represented
0: okay well now I remember how I met you we share a photographer Ed Anderson who was shooting my book My Paris Kitchen and either he gave me a copy of your book Bitters or somehow I got it yeah he, myself. he as the story goes he shot
1: my parents' kitchen mm-hmm. and afterwards he sent you a copy of my book bitters with a bitters gift set and then you did a post about it and i wrote a comment and, mm-hmm. and that sort of uh, slid into your dms as they say and then we kind of uh stay in touch and then when you were in brooklyn we had a nice negroni's
0: and dinner together at frankie's and okay. and, and i asked them to turn the music down yeah, they, that is. they would. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, yeah, so I think like that may never pop in Brooklyn.
1: like seven years later here or something. <laughs> no, yeah. So Ed uh, is the glue for us, and he still, I know he's worked on some of your other books, and he's been my cost and creative partner in the books I work on.
0: Well, what was interesting was when I saw your book Bitters. I wasn't into spirits books that much. I didn't know that much about them, but I first of all, the one thing I loved was that you found a subject that was not super well known, but that was actually quite prevalent in the spirit so of bitters and you explored it. And the writing was really good. The knowledge was really good. And then the same thing carried over to your book Amara. Yeah. B- both of those books like bitters, you know, I th- think
1: I started working on it. I came out in 2011, but I started working on it around 2008. It started as a 500 word story. I wrote for a local magazine in Seattle, and I was fascinated with this history, but there was information scattered all around. And I thought this could be an interesting book. And, and so I spent the summer writing a proposal. It came together and the buzzword for that. My books I use is like demystify where I like I to take a topic where there's a, information out there in different places. People think they might know, or they're eager to learn or they see and bitters at that time was crossing over to be in like restoration hardware and, and right, non-traditional right. places yeah. like, cause it's cool bottles and yeah. And so, yeah, so the timing of that was, was nice because it was the bitters boom was underway and Amaro was originally going to be a part of that story, but it would have been a much bigger book. Ending. And then I spun my wheels in a way for five years. Well, the next book didn't come out till five years later, but I was going to work on something else. And then suddenly I'm like, I really want to continue this bitter story. of is the next thing. And for Amaro, it was about a similar story of the history, the mystery people whose names are on the bottle from fourth, fifth, sixth generation, and just undercovering some of that and helping people understand because Amaro is still a very challenging topic. So, yeah, so those two are good bookends
0: together. Um, one thing about Amaro is you can't define, they're still like, they call it an elevator pitch in like the world. Because, yeah. Like there's no, like one sentence to describe, like, what is Amaro? Yeah.
1: I mean, you can say a herbal, bittersweet liqueur typically yeah. consumed as a digestivo, but. It's in cocktails. It could be driven before a meal. Is it just Italian? There's a French tradition. There's a German tradition, a European tradition. So yeah, I mean, Amaro too, like the word aperitivo, it's a drink, but it's also a thing, you know, it's the ritual around it. So, so it's, it's a pretty fascinating subject and learning about, like when I was writing that the Italian producers were more like curious, like, why are you doing this? You know, this is grandpa's mm-hmm. drink and the, uh, yeah, sure. We'll talk to you. You can look at our stuff. You can, we'll tell you well, things. Do and, People in Italy drink Amaro. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's getting into, um, aperitivo culture, like the red bitter drinks, um, mm-hmm. uh, from the Americano to the Chacarato to the Negroni, all of those, that's been a long tradition of that culture in Italy, mm-hmm. the lightly bitter herbal drinks to open your appetite. The Amaro is always the digestivo, but there's different types, like depending where you live in Italy, there might be limoncello or grappa or different things. Um, but I found, I was hearing a lot, like, yeah, it is grandpa's drink. No one, uh-huh. the kids, aren't like like yeah, the France, kids are
0: like, like in France, everyone's like, that's in my yeah. grandmother's cabinet.
1: And I found like, you don't see as many, um, like in New, in America, when someone focuses on Amaro, it's about having a shelf like mine. Like we have everything, look at all these, but then they don't tell you how to enjoy it or use it. They stir a menu down with 50 Amaris listed with no information. And that's a frustration of mine, but in Italy, I found it's usually, you see a, a few bottles next to the espresso machine because mm-hmm. you know, they might do a caffè with it, or you might have some with your coffee at the end, but it's, 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 um, some of the local stuff, but, but the, the regionality, hyper-regionality of Italian Amaro doesn't exist like it used to because of just the commercialism of it now. So. So yeah, I found, yeah, we would have Amaro at the end of a dinner, but for the most part, you know, they're not drinking cocktails like we would do right. dinner. There, well,
0: you actually told me something. I was at one of your presentations and you said, and an Amaro producer said, we give Americans Amaro and Americans give us recipes to use it like yes. cocktail recipes.
1: Yeah. Matteo Maletti of Maletti Amaro. I uh, was one of my favorite quotes. He said something like, uh, we export it, but then you and import how for us how, how to use it
0: because of
1: yeah because yeah. i think i was talking to an italian recently who was saying like you know omar couldn't be in a cocktail it is they, yep. we're bending the rules too much and but Amaro producers must be thrilled that the quantity of their sales have to be going up
0: well i sometimes to cocktail use i sometimes think like europeans excel at tradition and americans excel at creativity yeah that's a great point and that's You know, we're good at thinking outside the box because our traditions are short. We don't have a lot of traditions in America. Mm -hmm. We do, but they're not as deeply ingrained as in Europe. But one thing that was interesting, you know, we're here in Brooklyn right now and I had a French friend visiting. We went out for cocktails Mm -hmm. and he had a Manhattan and he said, oh, it's too bitter for me. Too bitter. And a lot of people think Americans like sweet stuff and Europeans like bitter. But actually, I don't find that true in France. I find French people are very... Like most of that, like there, there's a new Amaro bar that opened in Paris mm-hmm. and some friends went there and the waiter said, or the server said, if you don't like it, they put down the Amaro. If you don't like it, we can change it for something else, which is, I can imagine somebody getting yeah. like a very strong Amaro. That's
1: not, that's a, that's not a good sell
0: though. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah, but um, I, I like this. you're heading things off at the back. Yeah, that's true. And in Italy, like, what do you find the difference between Americans and Italians in terms of Tolerance for bitter liquors, and
1: stuff. I definitely think, you know, from my experience, culturally, Italians are one group who have definitely embraced bitter from a young age. You know, whether it's things like uh, anisette or cookies um, or the greens, coffee culture is a big yeah. part of it. And we're we're catching up, I think. You know, through obviously, uh, we're in this great craft coffee scene now that's been going on for a long time. That got people enjoying it, IPA beers. Very bitter beers, everyone's beloved green kale, you know, the bitterness Mm -hmm. of that. And while the Aperol Spritz is the most ubiquitous cocktail round, it helped people appreciate the idea of a little bitter. It's very, it's not that bitter. It's very sweet. But the Negroni, um, which traditionally is not an aperitivo drink because it's a little more spiritous, that I think is the thing that really helped embrace It started as like a bartender's handshake in the U.S. And you'd see it at older Italian restaurants, a poorly made one. But now, people, it's a very Campari. And the Negroni can be a very divisive, it's bitter, it's herbal, it's dry, it's sweet. But now that we can love these Negronis, it's a way to say, well, let me, I like that. Let me try something more. Well, it's
0: interesting. You mentioned the Aperol Spritz. I first had one when I was in Trieste in Italy. I was in coffee school in like 2007 or whatever. And I was seeing people drinking these giant orange drinks with ice. I was like, I want one of those. And fast forward to today about a friend of mine who's a wine expert, wine taster, wine seller in France. He said, well, you know, a lot of young French people are followers. For a while, everybody was all drinking mojitos at cafes and they were usually not very good mojitos. And then they switch to something else. But now it's the Aperol spritz. And historically, like, you know, every American who's gone to France and or Italy and said, like, Can I get some ice? You know, you yeah. get a cube or two. And now people are drinking these like big yeah. icy spritzes in France, which is very well, interesting.
1: North, I think well, in the case of the Aperol spritz in Italy, especially, it's it's everywhere. It's cheap and it's refreshing. And you're walking around in a hot day, you know, and it's just a marketing success story, too, of a, of making it a global phenomenon beyond Veneto
0: region. Well, yeah. I can't say for sure, but I know that certain companies, um, I know there's a coffee company in France and they give the cafes tables with the brand on it. Yeah. They uh, give them coffee, they give them coffee cups. And I'm assuming that's the same with Aperol.
1: Oh, yeah. In Italy, it goes back to like like post-World War II. A lot of the success of the advertising was, you know, Campari, especially even before that early on their in their tenure hired famous artists of the day to do their their designs and so yeah right. when you land in Italy, you see like the bus goes by with a with a ramazotti ad or um the airport luggage carousel has an aperol ad, yeah. campari so i know especially when like during the pandemic in new york when people went outside suddenly campari and aperol umbrellas were appearing in a lot of yeah. bars so there is uh, they're in high demand so there is a a trade-off I'm sure with bringing in product and you get these umbrellas or something. But yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect advertising. And I think like in the Negroni, especially a favorite drink of mine serves as that kind of, like you said, like whether you go to vacation in France or Italy and you come back and you have that drink and it reminds you of being outside right. and the transport of quality, the cosmopolitan nature of it, whether it's true or not, you know, we think like, oh, I'd love to live in Italy and or love to live in Paris. The reality of that's very different. And the rules we play by here are different than what people in other countries play by. So our aperitivo is always to be t- interpreted through an American sensibility, whether it's like, we can't give out free food, it's not legal here, or we want happy hour with discounts and
0: free food versus... Why is it called the- happy hour, one hour? It's hours. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I guess it looks a little nice. <laughs> well, so some of the, it's interesting. I thought we talk about some French and yeah. Italian spirits and some aperitifs, more like low ABV, lower alcohol ones. Talk a little bit about how they were founded, how they got to where they are now mm. in our culture. And I thought we would also share a couple of uh, drinks that are easy to make. Sure. The first one I wanted to sort of talk about, you mentioned advertising. This is called beer, B-Y-R-R-H. And this is called the Grand Canquina, which is a quinine based, you'd call it an aromatized wine or a mistel, I believe. Everything's live, so I can't go ahead and check (laughs) But it's okay, the podcast is going. And at one point in the 1930s, it was the most popular aperitif in America. And most people in France have never heard of it. Mm -hmm. I recently was at a restaurant in Paris, they had it on the menu and I ordered it and nobody knew what it was. And I was like, it's behind the bar. And the (laughs) the bottle had been there for a while and so forth. But kankina is quinine, which is bitter. And that was historically a, as you know, Brad, a way to cure malaria. People are getting malaria and they were especially in France. They were stationed in Africa during wars. So they're trying to get people to drink more kankina. At one point, beer sponsored a contest and spelled B-Y-R-R-H, not beer, sponsored a contest. And they had like a thousand French artists submit these designs that were amazing. Some featured babies drinking beer, some certain mothers serving beer to their children and so forth. The kids were thrilled. It was invented by two brothers that sold fabric and they decided they needed to make some money. So they came up with this health drink. Of course, the pharmacist didn't like that. So they kind of went after them. Anyway, it's now sort of faded a little bit into obscurity, even though it's still made today. Do you like it? You know, a mutual friend of ours, David Bolte, he's in California now, but he was a Brooklyn bartender. He used it in a lot of
1: drinks when he worked at Prime Meats. So that's sort of, I knew of it. I'd see it behind bars. I don't really seek it out much like I would, I would say more like I'm more familiar with the
0: things you'd see in a white Negroni, like Sue's or. Well, one thing about like when I was writing the, my drinks, but actually after it came out, we're all used to nowadays people saying, oh, I can't. In your cake recipe, can I use, I don't eat peanuts, can I use walnuts? Everybody wants to substitute. And people were writing to me and they're like, can I substitute, I don't like gin, can I use rum? I'm like, absolutely, that's how cocktails yeah. get invented. So I was telling people, you know, if you buy this, it's very juicy, it's very grapey. It's more grapey than vermouth, but it works yes. really well with like a Manhattan or over ice. And do you, do you have to refrigerate that one open? No? Yes, you,
1: do, you, should, you should, as you know. Yeah, it's uh, wine-based, Treat it like a wine.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the, my most frequently asked questions when my book came out is how long do these things last and generally how long would you.
1: I think the party line is like a month, you know, in the fridge, but I truth, I have a few things in in my refrigerator door that are, uh, have been there a while, so it's more like personal taste, but if you, if you're working at a restaurant
0: or bar, you know you don't want to see the vermouth on the back bar if it's right you You want want to stay in the fridge always keep them in the fridge yeah a month is ideal but i was talking to alexander gabriel who is a distiller in france and i said know, everyone's always asking me the same question how long do these things last and he looked at me and he goes just tell them until it doesn't taste good anymore (laughs) because like if it tastes good drink it
1: that's true like the quality
0: will degrade
1: for different reasons and then it's always a more much better and that's why vermouth like Half bottles
0: of vermouth are, are smarter to get for home use mm-hmm. rather than full bottles if you only have an occasional. Well, we don't get the half bottles in Europe, which is very interesting. Oh, oh, oh. we have to buy the whole, I think because people, part of it is they don't drink a lot of it, so okay. they're not buying it, but a distributor in America said we've told them to do half bottles for America It is people are more, some people are more careful about what they, how long these things keep. But the second liquor I wanted to talk about, or aperitif I should say, is sous and you've had this on your shelf here in your apartment
1: this has been your well, yeah no yeah. like i say i i um the re- first time i got it what it was the- last forever it wasn't available in the states and i got it when i was in paris uh or not paris okay. um bordeaux i bought it at a grocery store and brought it back and it had a different label then and and then when it became available in the u.s um yeah I, i've since i always like to have it around because like i said i know the drink you're going to talk about is a great way to enjoy okay. it and it's uh usually a key ingredient in the white negroni which but is fun to me.
0: You use a great term a lot. You call things gateway drinks or gateway yeah. like Amaro's. There's some Amaro's that just... Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah gateway I use a lot. And then like Goldilocks is a sort of like a not too bitter, not too sweet. Okay. Just right is a way of like, like yesterday after the lunch with a bunch of people and they're like, what's your favorite Amaro? What's your favorite Amaro? And I, I can't answer that, you know, because yeah. everything changes. But it's all about, like if they say, which one should I get? And well, there's a lot of factors to take in for taste and personality and occasion and all that. But... But yeah, but Gateway, like using something in a drink or discovering in a way that makes you enjoy it and then want to learn more and maybe expand your horizons to something more bitter or something more adventurous
0: or unique. So Suze actually lasts for a very long time. When I was writing Drinking French, every French person I talked to without fail, Mm -hmm. when I mentioned Suze, they're like, oh, my grandmother has a bottle in her cupboard. Because it's like, yeah. it's kind of considered like a little old lady drink in France. Whereas in America, as you mentioned, all these bartenders are using it. It's the one thing that I find impossible to describe. And the only thing I tell people is it's mouth curdlingly bitter and it's delicious.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a tough sell. Oh, yeah, no, I do. Because that's the thing when
0: I do you guys? Know uh, yeah, well, I'm just pouring some in a glass.
1: When I was. I'm going to talk a little bit about like American Amaro, but when I was writing Amaro, I was like, with all this craft distilling, where are American Amaro's Amari? And there was a lot of different reasons. And the biggest one was the learning curve of education. Like I shadowed Washington, DC distiller called Don Philly, and, and I went to a farmer's market with them. I went to a liquor store tasting. They'd have their bottles out. They look beautiful. They're very Italian. And they're like, oh, what's Amaro? You know, as soon as you say bitter, oh, I don't like bitter. Ooh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they... And so it's a harder sell. Um, but yeah, so, but once you're into it, if you're into it, you can geek out and you can find the bottles you like behind the bar and try new things. That was my biggest thing. When I lived in Seattle, I started my sort of cocktail education and writing. My biggest education was going to bars and asking questions in a non-annoying way. Like, cause when it's quiet, I say, what's that? You know, like I've never had Zuka. Yeah. Oh, it's a new import. And what's a Robo Bar? when you start talking and then you give it, you get a little taste and, when I travel, especially like I'll encounter like, uh, like what's that for net I've never seen. Oh, it's a local one made in Maine. And, and so
0: it's an interesting way to yeah. educate yourself and, and, he, and learn from the source of bartenders. I found actually bartenders are really helpful about giving me tastes of things. They're like, oh, you want to taste, but Suez is very hard to describe. And what I love about it is it's very bitter and is a funny green color. It's, it's, real- a, it's a beautiful color. It's just almost like chartreuse, a little. Well, there, there is artificial coloring in it. Okay. And a reader wrote to me and she bought a bottle in America and she said, I am so sure that nobody in France would drink anything it, it, this color. This must be for the American market. Really? I'm like, no. But there's another gentian liquor called Salers or Saler, which is more transparent. But gentian is a plant, it's a root. They usually grow for 10 to 50 years before they're harvested. It's the basis for sous, and it's quite bitter. But it makes a wonderful Susan tonic. A lot of people love gin and tonics. I love gin and tonics. Yeah. But if you want something lower ABV, you know, Suze is, I think twenty percent alcohol.
1: Yeah, it's just it's a nice if it's like bitters and soda is very popular. Like putting a few dashes of bitters, but this is a great way. There's an element of sophistication to it. Not everyone is on. Having
0: this around. So I, I know like it, for me, it's like learning bartenders or people drinking this first for me, at least I know. So I'm mixing one now. Yeah. Brad is dude. looking and t- he's multitasking. Yeah.
1: And and like you said with the herbs, like normally, you know, all of these came for medicinal purposes originally, mm. um, like mm. whether it's gentian or, or cinchona, um, wormwood, these were all things that were used around the focused on digestion, whether opening the appetite, settling the stomach. And then in Italy, it or the morrow, it was about like the monasteries using it. And then it goes to pharmacy use. And then eventually it makes the leap to being enjoyed commercially. So it's an interesting story with these. I know France had, for the same reason, with digestion.
0: Well, I know in France, you can sell anything if you tell people that it's good for your health. Yeah. I've made carrot cake once and somebody I knew wouldn't, it was like carrots and cake. I said, it's like, it's very good for your health. The character to write a high in vitamin A. He's like, oh, okay. I was like, I didn't tell him like cream cheese frosting. It's probably like, yeah. You know, well, I know not, that too.
1: Like in France, you say things like, you know, like the ice, like, oh, it'll don't eat
0: cold. It'll freeze your stomach. Don't you'll freeze your yeah. stomach. Or you'll get pneumonia. And, and so it, I'm going to drink this because yeah. I made the drink. Yeah. The drink, by the way, I'm going to put it on my newsletter, but this is a Susan tonic. It's one ounce of Suze or Salers gentian liquor. Three ounces of tonic water, a couple of lime wedges, and it's over ice. And I'm going to drink a tip yeah, unless you want to just, share, do you want to
1: see? No, no. I was going to make okay. one of my own drink over here in a minute.
0: Mm. I love this drink. So imagine your shirt or That's ah. your green shirt. We well, you know we're both friends with Jeffrey Morgan Dollar, a bartender in Portland, Oregon. Really? was very funny, and you know nowadays when you say something, when you make a statement like anywhere online or in a book, people hold you to it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And he said in one of his books, you know, Schweppes is tonic water. Just drink Schweppes. You don't need yeah. to buy all these fancy. Then I I met him for the first time about a year ago, and I was talking about a tonic water. He goes, Oh yeah, but there's this really good one that actually does make it. Yeah. <laughs> but this is Fever Tree tonic water, which is good.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest thing with your tonics and sodas this are delicious. Are the smaller, you know, use a smaller bottle. Don't get a big two liter bottle of like I I have no issue with Canada Dry. Yes, Schweppes. Fever Tree is great to have on hand, of course. And I usually have like a, some sodas or I get some ginger beer or this tonic. But I also like I like seltzer. Like I I've, I've been I'm gonna make a Campari seltz in a minute and. Having like an ice cold can of seltzer from like
0: Polar or something is, is yeah. just as good and, and works. So well, there's a tonic water in France called Archibald <laughs> and they believe they want everything in there to come from France. So they don't have quinine in it. Okay. It's gentian. Oh, interesting. And it's delicious. And I met her at one of these food festivals, the owner, and she's like, yeah, it's a really old recipe. And, you know, in those days, like, you know, 10 years ago, nobody in France had, I mean, there was you could get a Schweppes at a cafe, you know, we would have a Schweppes usually it was like grapefruit flavored or something. And then at these, like all these brands of tonic water. And there's like, actually in France, all these gins, it's like, there's a store in Paris that just sells gins and it's like, it's great, it's great but there's kind of a lot of gins yeah. and I've alone, I have a lot more Italian gin coming out of there too. I have this week alone. I got like three press releases for somebody told me that gin is like printing money. Because when you make it, it doesn't really need to be aged. Yeah. It's not like whiskey, at least be kept in barrels. Yeah.
1: Most distilleries start out with a vodka or gin because bourbon, you have to age minimum time. So yeah, it does, it is a way, but it, there are many out of there. And like the new American styles or like new world style gins can really be made with anything. So they they can taste very different. Like if you, even if you have like Hendrix versus Tanqueray versus Ford's versus Plymouth in a gin and tonic, it's going to change okay. you know, what it brings.
0: So, you know, try, you know, when I was writing my book, Drinking French, I yeah. made sure everything was available in America. Suez is available. Oh, well, we can't find it. I was like, oh, okay. But you can, you have to kind of look for it. But there is a bitter that isn't available, Amer Picot, which is a famous one. And my editor had said, well, you know, do you want to put keep that in the book? And I said, it's very hard to discuss the French culture of drinking without talking about Amare Picon. And there are substitutes and there are mm. other bitters that are equivalent or shall I say, improved on there. Yeah. <laughs> like bigaletti, china, bigaletti, china. Our friend, uh, Toby
1: Cicchini's favorite of, yeah.
0: of the Amares. And it's excellent.
1: Yeah, he loves that.
0: So speaking of Amares, it's your turn. Yeah, we're gonna switch over, jump to Italy. I'm gonna talk about
1: Campari, the iconic red bitter. And essentially it has a deep, deep rich history so I won't go into all of that, but essentially, Italy—it's the backbone of Apertivo culture in Italy. And Apertivo sort of started in northern Italy from two different ways: with Carpano inventing, like not inventing, but the first commercial vermouth in the late 1700s, with people drinking that outside of Turin, and then the Austro-Hungarian Empire with the spritz coming in via Veneto, mm-hmm. and then in 1860 outside of Turin. Gasparri Campari was kind of like below his bar he had, was making cordials and liqueurs Mm -hmm. and different things and came across what eventually would become Campari. He moved to Milan at a certain point, opened up a small bar directly across where now the Camparino bar in the Duomo is. Mm -hmm. And it was really his son. I think it's his second son, Davide, who is why we know Campari now, because he his father had so many different things on the shelf. He said, this is the one we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And he hired artists of the day to um, do advertising, marketing. So it became known across Italy and trickled down to be like, because otherwise, like in the Veneto, there was Select, which is a great red bitter that yeah. is still around. Capiletti. capaletti Yeah, there's a Dri- lot of them. Yes. Yeah, so they're regionally yeah. driven by, you would drink what you were, but now Capari is, is very iconic. And and it's it's, this, at this Camparino bar, they're famous for this drink called, what we would simply call Campari and soda. So I wanted to kind of look at something that's like simple ingredients, but more about technique.
0: So at the bar, Davide in 1915, when they opened it. Is Was that it, Italian for David?
1: It is. Oh, okay. <laughs> he installed, I thought that's, he installed <laughs> this proprietary hydraulic system in the basement to bring the soda water up to siphon ah, guns at okay. the bar. So the whole, so normally Campari and soda, you think, okay, pour some in over ice, add some soda, maybe add a garnish and that's it. But they kind of made an art of it. So he, I have, you can't get these in the U S and I've been, they just started selling these at the bar. It's this, uh, oh, it's a compar- proprietary Campari seltz glass. So it's a okay. footed tall kind of highball glass with this beautiful ridge on it. It says Campari mm-hmm. and the head bartender there was recently in town and surprised me with a little set of these. So well, just, well, two. two. Okay. So, but a I know many people at Campari don't even have these in the U.S. So they say, so well, no. do Campari,
0: so, as you mentioned, is oh. an iconic global brand. However, in America or in France, like Dolan makes the red bitters. But in America, there's a lot of red bitters being made. It's yeah. Called-
1: so, so going back to that question I had of where's our American tomorrow? now, yeah, there's a lot of choices beyond. So like, Local restaurants here in the neighborhood will have sort of a create your own spritz, where it's like you pick the bitter, you oh, the bitter. We, okay. whether it's it's Fourth Ave Spirits, especially in, Bro- in Brooklyn. We're lucky where we have three major amaro makers here. Mm-hmm. We have Fourth Ave Spirits, uh, St. Agrestis, and Facha Bruto, who all have their own. Aperit- and they make amaro. They make yeah, they, red they, make, they make different things. Like, mm-hmm. like one uh, Fourth Ave makes gin amaro. But
0: I would say they all have a red bitter. Their red bitters is really good.
1: Yeah. For, I'd say the fourth thing <laughs> is hi, Daniel and Aaron.
0: Um, I'm trying not to say Farnay Branca, which is how you say no, it in we're, French because Brad. I thought we were
1: just going to spend an hour. Okay. In, uh, I would say, like, I think it's well known that, that they're one of my favorite producers. And going back to the botanicals, they are very knowledgeable, big yeah. geeks, thoroughly study, and they have a shelf in their lab of vintage spirits.
0: They have a couple Yeah, shells. Yeah. You took many many there and I was like, wow.
1: But they, this in terms of like what they're working on, experimenting with, where they source their things, they're botanical driven. I mean, all of these are, but they're really focused on it. But it's interesting too, with some of these, like Fourth Ave, because it's all natural, it'll change. Like like they use, they use natural ingredients to get the red dye. Well, Campari, up until 2006, Campari used a natural dye from a uh, cochineal, which is like a, the beetle right. grounded down for the red dust. So technically now it's vegan friendly because, yeah. but it's, it's artificial, okay. um, so 2006, they use an artificial dye. And, and in terms of ingredients, a bottle producers are, are notorious about holding their ingredients to their vests. Yes. And even, even if you had all 27 ingredients and in for that bronca, you would never be able to replicate it
0: for just the different. Well, in your book, Amaro, you do list all these Amaros and you say known ingredients. Yeah. So, so the known <laughs> ingredients for Kavtari are like water, sugar,
1: alcohol. That's all uh-huh. they gonna say. So you could say, like, oh, it's got, must
0: have this orange, must have citrus, must have this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very protective about it. So, yeah. Although on the other hand, when I went to Dolan Vermouth in France, he showed me the recipes. They were all written in like quill pens and yeah. books. And he let me take a I said, Can I take a picture? Cause the, he's like, Yeah, what are you gonna do? Open your own Vermoose company. I was like, you're right. I had the same yeah. thing when I visited Maletti
1: and a few others, they had Meletti had the correspondence of like a a father and a son who were traveling across Italy and they would leave letters and hotels to each other, but they had their recipe books and and I was looking at and taking pictures and like You don't read Italian,
0: but it was like, again, you would never be able to do it. It's like chartreuse, the French liquor. They were, these monks were given the recipe and it took them a hundred years to figure out how to make it. Mm -hmm. And it's probably over the years that evolved even further. But at one point they had to give it to the French government because the French government was nationalizing everything. And they had to get, all the companies had to give everything to the government. And they got it returned with, someone had written Trocote-Piquet, it's It's a complicated, across the top and they have it hanging somewhere oh, on the in their area. tasting area which is fun cool.
1: so they, but on, on the on the red one thing the red bitters with the wealth of availability now where like i have like at least 12 on my shelf here campari has an iconic taste just like Fernet Branca right. bronca does so, so brusque so there's a lot of frenet out there and if you're used to like campari in a cocktail and then you mm-hmm. drive forte or Fachebruto, or Dolan Red Bitters from France, which are available in the U.S. Sadly, but they they're going to taste it um, in different ways. And some may be wine based, like like Capoletti, which I love in my refrigerator is wine based. So I love that in a because yep. it plays well with a pr- pr- Prosecco. But yeah, Capari, it's bitter, it's herbaceous, it's dry, it's bittersweet, but it's got a very distinctive taste and color. Like I sometimes right. you order a lot of Negronis now at the hipster restaurants. Um, they're like, hey, that's not red. There's something mm-hmm. like they're auburn or weird because it might be
0: uh, some local. Well, I had a bottle of, because I used to bring back bottles from the U.S. and then vice versa, I'd bring bottles from France to people in the U.S. and mm-hmm. I brought you a bottle of Dolan bitters. And I had a bottle of the Fort Have spirits, Fort Hop spirits They then write to me afterwards. <laughs> and it was it turned a little bit brown. And I yes. was like, is it still good? And I think I either asked you or them and they go, taste it if it tastes good. Exactly. Yeah. Like I've had some of the change. So do you want to make a? Yeah. Go ahead and make some drink. What is the drink called? You're going to make.
1: Well, it's Campari and soda, but I'm just going to try to do the Italian version of Campari seltz. but I obviously don't, I don't have, you really need a siphon to do that, but I'm just going to talk about technique. And essentially I keep an extra bottle of Campari in my freezer at all times. And so that's what I have in front of me now. And it's ice cold Mm -hmm. of course. It also gets this cool viscosity to
0: it. Uh, is it is it the sugar that thickens it or it's you know, it's likely like the sugar, alcohol, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just it just gets it's not quite slushy or frozen, but it's just a different mouthfeel to it. So mm-hmm. in it at Caperino Bar, they don't serve it with ice. They have their proprietary glass comes out frozen from a crisper. Okay. So I took this from the freezer and because we're talking it got a little chilly, so I might yeah. put some ice in it. But essentially, okay, let's, well, let's go ahead. Newton. Yeah. So this is, um,
0: just put some ice in there and it I just, it's a lot, it's a nice amount of ice.
1: Yes. And I just free pour, but you want, usually would be like an ounce and a
0: half. So you kind of do it visually and then. That's this beautiful red color. I like guess when it came out, Kampari yeah. is it's, it's so iconically red. And then the key here, so it's essentially, so now it's they would take and put
1: their siphon gun on it. And when it hits it, it introduces air. And this beautiful aromatic layer of foam, pickish white foam shows up. So I, at home, I don't have that system. So what I do is I usually use a can of ice cold seltzer and just kind of give it, Julia Momose, a bartender in Chicago, taught me just kind of like, Get a little messy with it, like just kind of give it an aggressive pour like that, so you can see. Ah, it, I do see that. Oh wow! But yeah, if we had a proper siphon, like the top third would be completely white. So they don't serve it with ice because it's super chilled.
0: You need to talk to your landlord about a siphon
1: Well, you live above a bar,
0: Brad. Yeah, we could run it up. You should run up the garnish. And one thing, so I'm gonna have a little taste of this. When you told me you were moving above a bar, I was like, "You're not gonna like it." And you were like, "You're thrilled. You've been living above a bar for three years." For years. Uh, two, a couple of years now, but it, yeah, um, it's you have to have a certain character to be able to live above a
1: bar, you know. Yeah. And it's karaoke nights are a little loud on the weekends, but otherwise, it, it, it's it's it's. Sure. But you ever put an orange in that? Yeah. So traditionally, I was going to mention you you can't put an orange slice or, or twist. I did a story on the Campari soda history last year. And as part of that, I talked to bartenders. I went to the one thing I love about Campari is even a dive bar usually has Campari, you know, I will put an asterisk on that. Cause like uh-huh. once I asked, he's like, you go check. I don't know if you got it. And he had like yeah. a bottle of granite, but like put the bar downstairs with a dive bar and I would just go and ask, can I have Campari soda? I wouldn't specify. And you know, and normally you get a lot of limes in it and, and of the plastic cup, sometimes a pint glass. And yeah. so I have a whole series of photos from that research month. Jack Schram is a bartender. He used to work with Dave Arnold uh, at Booker and & Dax. And he was like, he kind of got me into adding a lime to it. A little squeeze of lime. Um, works perfectly with the bitterness But what's the thing so. about
0: these drinks too is you can turn them into spritzes, put them in a goblet, a footed goblet, um, and maybe add something else.
1: Yeah, this is the backbone of like, like well, the Kabari soda, because of its success, it was an extremely popular drink and which led to the, the bottle RTD, Campari soda you get in Italy, which was Italy's first ready to drink wow, okay. um, beverage. So, but yeah, the with the Apertibo drinks, like you said, you have that, the Bellato Torino, which was a bitter and a vermouth, mm-hmm led to the americano which led to you know
0: i would imagine well i got in trouble once for talking about shambord liquor at a bar with brad with me yeah. everybody it was like no, <laughs> no, i'm gonna
1: take the mic for a minute and say no it was um a bartender was was kind enough to share some drinks he was working on for a new menu and david who had been like one month into his new drink research thought he'd offer some advice yeah uh, every drink needed a splash of shambord and it's just become a
0: bit, but uh, sometimes it does. But I was uh, thinking like, this would be good with a little bit of creme de cassis. No, no, now you're getting, a little no, I'm taking this away from you. Okay. No.
1: Yeah. So, so I think though, like you can make this in a highball glass, but I would say generally a smaller kind of water glass is nice for this. So we, what are the proportions approximate? It's usually, it's like one and a half Campari. Most people would eyeball it it's like one and a half Campari it, like and, and then probably three ounces of uh, so water. So it's like
0: one to two. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. art compari, two three.
1: One is almost art a one to water. three, depending on the size of the glass. But these glass I'm using is a, a narrow kind of highball
0: here. And okay. I'm going to ask the substitution question. But okay. It's going to be another. No, I have a Okay. Yeah. We're not going on a but like, I know like Sam Pellegrino makes like orange flavored sodas. Yeah. Or lemon flavored yes, sodas. You, you get more to like spritzy things. Right? So is that okay?
1: Yeah. I mean, okay, I'm not. No. Actually, it. you want to have compari. Yeah. I would say like, you know, there's a lot of popular things sure. now. No, mm-hmm. with your. um. La Croix, the soda the flavor yeah the,
0: but that's American
1: but but people will a lot of people will have a sip of it and then pour a slug of Campari in on or okay. Aperol. there's a popular I think it's called the spaghetti it's where you take a Miller high Life bottle uh-huh. and you have a sip and then you pour aperol or Campari in uh-huh. so you have this kind of beer yeah I'd say like in terms of the variations I'm off it yeah like like I have if I had I don't get too much into the flavored Ones with these, but I mean, there's a quality one, like you said, if it's alive or we're not teenagers, it's just, we're adults. Yeah, but I think, but like the Americano, <laughs> like I love beer Americanos, which is like uh, David Volte had one from prime meats called the Americano perfecto. And it was like one and a half Campari. And then he did a split one and a half for moves of Dolan and Carpano and then topped with a Pilsner and. Okay. And I had, I asked still wore to make me one the other night at Bar Allen bar and he
0: took his drink. It was pretty darn good. And so it was like, well, that. during the confinement when we couldn't get things, yeah. I remember reading different bartenders who had hacks and one hack was like, if you don't have a lot of ice, which if in Europe, we don't yeah. have enough ice to so like, when you shake a drink, just pour the drink in the glass with the ice. And I was like, that actually makes sense because if yeah. you don't have ice. And the other hack that I had read was if a drink calls for Prosecco or champagne, mm-hmm. you can use beer, which yeah, is what exactly Aaron Damon from grand army bar did, which is, this would be great with a little beer floater. Okay. But, but I'm getting a little, i get getting the stink eye from Brad.
1: Do you want me to make one more drink or, or are you sure?
0: So yeah. What's the other drink?
1: I was going to think of the shakerado. So the thing about I like the drink. The, the drink we just made was essentially two ingredients and you know, it's a high bowl. But it becomes, it's an elevated drink. So this is a, a mono drink where it's just one ingredient. Okay. Um, so in Italy, there is a thing called like a cafe shakerato, which is a coffee. It's usually coffee mm-hmm. and a little sugar or simple syrup shaken up. And it's kind of a frothy dessert yeah. item. Of course you think about, hmm, that could be an Italian mudslide. Yeah. Let's add some, or our Italian espresso martini. Let's add some booze to it. But the Campari shakerato is something that you rarely see in the U.S. There's just I, I wrote a story a few years ago called the B-list aperitivo, like the ones we don't know about, like the Cardinal and the Bicicleta, things that aren't as popular as the Spritz. And one of those was a Chacarato. And so I was testing it out a Dante, and he's like, "No one wants just a cup of shaken." I was going to say Campari you to write a book called One Ingredient Cocktails, but it was <laughs> so, a short book. So the so the the key is essentially it's taking so Campari like. Sue's and some of these other drinks, they're almost like cocktails in a bottle because you have sugar, you have botanicals, you have alcohol. So they're very complex. And you think of like the Negroni, which has the Campari, all the gin botanicals, and then all of the uh, vermouth herbs. So with this, you're sort of getting a cocktail. So you're just pouring... so, 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 So you want to get a coupe glass or a Nick and Nora style glass in the freezer, ice cold. Then you take a shaker I'm going to do a, a reverse dry shake. So we're going to double shake it. Normally a, a dry shake is don't put the ice in first. You see that with egg whites. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're doing a sour. You shake it to incorporate, then add the ice. A reverse dry okay.
0: shake is the opposite. So you've got a cocktail shaker.
1: Yeah. So I have a cocktail shaker. I'm going to add the ice to it. A good amount of ice. And then I'm just going to put like just free pour. I'd say like two ounces
0: of Campari. Free pour is when you don't measure.
1: Yeah. So so, but the kapari again from the freezer, ice cold, and I'm gonna shake this up. <laughs> you want to get it nice and cold.
0: Good shape. Thank you. And then this is just ice and kapari and a shaker.
1: Yes. And then you want to so you're gonna strain the kapari into the other tin.
0: And then discard the ice. Okay. Whoa. (laughs) That valuable. (laughs) Yes. And then. Confinement ice. And then
1: shake it now without anything. So if everything is. Well, there's there's no ice in there. Well, you know, my famous, when I was on the Martha Stewart program years ago for bitters, I was shaking a drink and I forgot to put the ice in. in Oh, are you nervous? Oh, well, I said, I exclaimed, we forgot the ice, Martha. And she had a very festive sparkly top on. And I was worried we were, we were muddling cranberries and I was worried. I was gonna Okay, that's like,
0: all right. So, so now I've not been on the show.
1: Well, the show is so long, so none of us will be, so, so we just shook it up. Now it's going to be ice cold glass, ice cold Campari. And we're going to have
0: ah. a little. Oh, it's like emulsified Campari. Yeah. Oh, so sorry. I, I keep moving my microphone around because I'm capturing this, this sentence. So, um. Or
1: really good. This normally would have like a because we had the glasses out a little bit because it's very hot for production. But yeah, so I'm gonna have a sip of this. Good try. So it's a little frothy, bright, beautiful red. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's like a a perfect cocktail. And so orange twist.
1: You That's can definitely put. Yeah, they the cumburito they do put an orange twist. I'll put one up for you. I don't want to
0: hear about this like the shambord incident.
1: As no, so 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 one thing I was gonna say. So Dante now, very popular bar here in New York with two locations. They have a Chakarato, Campari shakerado, and they've elevated a touch by, they add citric acid, mm. uh, a little orange blossom spray. spray, and then a couple drops of bitter. So to make it a little more friendly uh, to people who might not just want ice cold Campari. That's so yeah, so. That's well, a beautiful cocktail. So, so this is like a mossy, so yeah. So you have a one ingredient and a two ingredient, and- I like this as a digestivo at the end too, sometimes because it has this dry, it's, it's very dry, but it's bracing and it, it's a quick sipper, you know, cause yeah. it's like, uh, I just, I just drank half of it. You
0: did? Yeah. <laughs> photos uh, but yeah. So, so yeah, david got me making some drinks here. Um, well, it's, this is great. I love being in your kitchen and I have to say when I met you, Brad, um, I just have a kitchen. <laughs> you, know, you, well, uh, <laughs> no, no. you were living in a different neighborhood, yeah. but I was talking to someone in the spirits world. I said, oh, I am friends with Brad and we go out drinking. And they said, oh, you know, he's like, I forgot the word she used, but you're like the golden ticket of drinking buddies. Oh, So you've been a great drinking buddy over the years. Also, you helped me a lot when I was writing drinking French because I was learning a lot. And you introduced me to people who went out drinking a lot. When I was writing the book, we'd go out for drinks afterwards. That was...
1: Yeah, you writing, headline, uh, breakers. Yeah.
0: Writers at 5.30. It's like, you yeah, need a drink. You've been <laughs> sitting in front of the computer. And now you've, you've uh, exceeded me in your knowledge of all, all of uh, well, the spirits. I did the work. Like you. You go and you research and you're doing this book on Italy now. And you're going to be going to Italy, traveling around. Yeah, whenever I get lucky enough to go back to Italy, my biggest
1: thing is to go somewhere I haven't been and like to keep learning, you know, whether it's visiting new producers or a new region I haven't been to or going deeper. So that's why tomorrow for me, like tomorrow, you know, it's my second book. It's five years old, but week to week, that's my best-selling book right now for the last few years. And so it gets me excited that people are engaged in it and it makes me want to
0: just keep learning more about it myself to mm-hmm. keep my expertise in check well, and I've- fresh. I see bitters behind a lot of bars in France. And I'm like, well, I know <laughs> that they're, they're like, really? No, it's yep. funny. We were out. waiting for you to come to Paris. Are we giving a, you said there was a contest that so people could go out for drinks with us in Brooklyn? Uh, well, since you live here and I don't, okay. uh, Brad, and you've heard it here first. He's at BT. <laughs> no, people know where to find me. Yeah. Um,
1: but you have a website. Yeah. B- BTParsons.com is okay. my website and my emails on there and all the information about my books. And, and you're I- on Instagram. I enjoy the Instagram. Yeah, I'm on uh, same name, BT Parsons, Brad Thomas Parsons. That's where I'm most active and most
0: engaged on the social media side. Um, if people just want to find you, they can probably just look in my descriptions on my Instagram because all of my comments <laughs> included you. <laughs> Brad, that would be
1: this way. No, I'm like, like I say, I'm lucky that I, David won't let me come to Paris, but I do get to see
0: him here in Brooklyn often. And we have a guest room now.
1: But no, it's always, uh, Great to see you and hang out with you, yeah. especially go out to dinner and, and have fun. You know, we have a good time together and I know you're very busy and in demand. So I always appreciate the time I get to spend with you.
0: Well, I always make room for you first and then everybody else comes second. So but
1: I get you start like whatever we do first, then everything you do just gets cooler and better. And I'm like, Hey, why'd they go this way? I know. And we, you, I think last time we went, we went to like, you made me walk 15 blocks in the heat carrying bags for some sushi. Where did uh, we go? That little sushi place. no. Really?
0: Oh, was. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Well, it's well, I think we might have this tomorrow. I don't know if you remember. Is it okay. yes. on yeah. In right. my calendar. Right. Well, we don't, you know, in Paris, we don't get sushi that much. No, I know. not There's a lot of inexpensive sushi places. It? Yeah. yeah, it's hot. <laughs> okay, well, I want to thank you, Brad, for being on the podcast. It was great to see you again as usual. You... Likewise. The drink recipes will be also on my newsletter, davidliebowitz.substack.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you do like the podcast, you're welcome to leave a comment on your favorite podcast platform or just follow me, find and follow and be part of the silent majority. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, Brad. Ciao, ciao. Okay.